Good evening. Good evening. So last night I got home at 11 from my service in Kansas. And tonight I get to do a service in Idaho. <laughs> Only in America, right? Um, I actually, in the next one days, get to preach 25 times in six different places. It's just another normal three weeks. Amen. This is my home church in Idaho. It's so good to be here. Uh, I love the worship. I love the expectancy. I love the faith. This is a wonderful place. I love you guys. I'm going to preach. Uh, I thought about what do you preach on Pentecost Sunday? And I think the purpose of Pentecost is not just a one-time encounter, but an encounter that can give you a vision that can stain you in a lifestyle of victory. And so I want to preach tonight uh, on the theme that there is a way to live a life where you don't get discouraged, you don't get afraid, you don't feel hopeless. No matter how bad it gets, there's a way to live where you don't have to ever lose heart. Would that be a good topic? Yeah, come on. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll read some of Paul's writings. Second Corinthians, it's page 1221. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 4. I'm just going to start reading in verse 16. If you have it, say amen. amen. Therefore, is this too loud or is it okay? I just, I want to come across gentle. <laughs> Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer person is decaying, yet our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So, Father God, Yahweh, 
we're here because you summoned us, you called us. You wanted us to be here in the room with you. Pour out your spirit like that precious lady said on our eyes, on our hearts, on our ears. So we can see and hear and feel all that's in your heart for us tonight. Cause your word to come alive inside of us. Amen. So this is an interesting verse. Paul claims in verse 16 to have found some kind of a secret way of living that I think every person on the entire planet is trying to find. I think every person on planet Earth wants to find a way to live where you never have to lose heart. You never have to get depressed. You never have to get worried. You never have to feel anxiety. You never have to feel like throwing your hands up and saying, what's the use? I, I think he's claiming to, to have found a secret. Not only do you never have to lose heart, but that you can get renewed every single day. Like you don't have to get out of gas. You don't have to, you don't have to like let your, all your hope just fade away. You don't have to lose all your encouragement. Like, Every single day, you just get filled up again. Like, every single day, you get renewed. Like, it's, it sounds too good to be true. Like, he says, we don't lose heart. And I think I lose heart periodically, daily. Not all day long. But there's some bumps in the road during every day where I catch myself losing heart, like depression creeps in or fear creeps in. And Paul claims to have found a secret where you don't have to. In fact, the Bible can't lie. He says we don't lose heart. I want to know how to get there. Is anybody curious about this verse? You know, I'm thinking about, you know, let's do it. Let's do a test. Who came here tonight, who came to Riverhouse tonight hoping that someone would sing something or pray or preach something that would just make you lose complete hope and complete heart and you just go away depressed? Who came tonight expecting that to happen? Raise your hand. Nobody, see? Everybody wants to find how to live this way. See, it's unanimous. You get it? Or who came expecting, no, when I get tired, I just want to stay tired. I don't want to be renewed. I want my tank to be empty. I, I want to always be needy. I don't want to get refreshed. I, who came expecting to hear something that would make you feel like there was no hope of ever feeling like there was hope again? Raise your hand. It's your, one person. I think it's universal. I think all of us are in the same boat. I think we're all trying to find that way of living where we don't have to ever be depressed. We don't have to ever live in fear. We don't ever ever go into worry and doubt. I mean, I think that's what the whole planet is. Now, I understand there's a lot of suicide. I get it. I understand there's a lot of overdose. I understand there's a lot of hopelessness. But I don't think because, you know, especially since COVID, 
when fear filled our planet like never before. I, I know that it's not because people weren't looking for a way to not lose hope. That's not why suicide is up. I think suicide is up because they didn't know where to find it. I don't think anybody wanted to take their life. I just think they got to the place where they couldn't find hope. Which provokes me to want to live a life where someone looks at me and says, wait a minute. Why are you not losing heart? You have issues. I want to live a life that makes one try to hold on to find the secret, not give up. Does that make sense, you guys? Then I thought about, well, what right would anybody have to claim a statement that you can live a life where you never lose heart, no matter how bad life gets, and every single day you can be renewed like it's brand new for the first time? Who has a right to say that? And of all the authors in the Bible, I can't think of one author that has more of a right to make a statement about how to live without getting depressed in the midst of suffering than the Apostle Paul. There's nobody in the whole Bible that sustained suffering like Paul. Some people say, well, what about Job? His was a nine-month stint. Nine months. Most scholars, when I look up to try to find out how long Paul lived, none of them know how long he lived. But most of them agree that his suffering lasted 30 years. What do you mean? What do you mean by that, Dan? I, I, well, if you want the list, it's in Second Corinthians chapter eleven, where it just says, you know, five times he was scourged. So, if you guys remember that movie, The Passion of the Christ, where all the flesh was torn off of Jesus, Paul went through that five times. He was rotted three times, where they try to break all the bones in your feet and your legs and your back. They get thirty-nine hits with a rod. He was in prison wherever he went. He was stoned and killed. He was snake bit, shipwrecked, left out in the cold, always being oppressed. 90% of the churches that he planted all backslid and gave up because of the persecution. The, Paul didn't retire. Like he didn't have two years of golf or fishing. He just got his head taken off. And that's what ended the suffering. 30 years of suffering and there's not one word where he complains saying, God, why don't you not let me suffer so much? He wrote this phrase, we don't lose heart. Well, how's it possible? So I think I can trust a guy that says a statement like that out of suffering, not out of ease. Does that make sense? Now, there is a secret to living a life where you don't lose heart when you're prosperous. Like in Philippians chapter 4, it says, I've learned the secret of being content, whether up or down, whether being full or hungry, whether having plenty or having I mean, there is a secret that we could find to living a life where you're not being, you know, abused. You're not suffering. You're not in lack. There, and I think the secret to living a life where you don't lose heart when you're not being persecuted, when you're not suffering, might be a harder secret to learn. 
Because when you're not being persecuted, when you're not suffering, when you have good money, when your health is reasonable, when your kids aren't a mess, come on, when the business seems to be going good, that's when people usually think they have options. And when you're suffering, and when the money's suspect, and the relationships are going bad, usually you don't feel like you have as many options. That's why... There's far less suicides with poor people than there are with rich people. Uh, Paul's not talking about that secret in this text, but there is a secret to living a life in prosperity without losing heart. And I want to propose to you that that would probably be a harder secret to live than a life of finding a way to live without losing heart in suffering. Because when you're suffering, it's usually easy to turn to Jesus because he looks like the only hope. You guys, isn't this a great Pentecost sermon? So we know the devil's a liar. He's an accuser. He's a thief. He's a murderer. And so he's going to try to get us to give in to worry, to depression, to anxiety every single day of our life, right? And so the antidote to overcome his lies, his deception, his thievery is truth. Do we agree with that? Truth always trumps lies. Truth versus lies is like light versus darkness. Like if this room was pitch black and someone walked in the room and flipped the light switch on, The light wins every time instantly. There's not even a contest because light trumps darkness. Well, truth is the same way over lies or deception. That's why Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So one of the main ways to find the secret of living a life, come on, where you'd never lose heart is by living a life in step with truth because truth continually sets us free. And we know this is truth. Would you guys agree that this whole book is truth? And it says in 2 Thessalonians that the great falling away that's going to happen at the end of the age is because people didn't love the truth. And my question is, before I even start the sermon, is what is your relationship with truth? Do Do you like it once a week? Do you like to date it? Do you like the benefits, but you don't want a commitment? I'm just asking, do, do, you, do, you, do, you, do you want to be engaged to it where you get a few more benefits, but you don't really want to make a long-term commitment to it? Or do you want to just go all in and become one with truth so it keeps setting you free? You see, it says at the end of the age, the great falling away is going to happen because people didn't love the truth. So we've got to fall in love with it. Amen? So, I think I want to talk about a couple words here in this verse. He says, we don't lose heart even though our outer man is decaying. The outer man refers to your body, your flesh, your bones, your joints, your organs. Your lungs, your heart. It even refers to your emotions. 
It's not referring to your spirit man. That's your inner man. It's referring to the soul part of you and the flesh part of you. And Paul says, you don't ever have to lose heart even though that part is decaying. He picks a word called decaying. Does it make you feel like maybe... It sounds like you have leprosy or something, doesn't it? Like, we don't ever have to lose heart even though our outer man is decaying. I remember the Bible can't lie. So I look up that word decaying and it's used five times in the Bible. And I, I wrote down a couple of the places it's used. One place it's used is in Luke 12, 33, where, where Jesus just said, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Like you guys quoted from Matthew 5, where moth and rust destroy. That word destroy is the same word that Paul uses for decay. So what would that, that look like? Well, you have a nice coat and summer's here, so you put the coat in the closet and you shut the door and somehow moths get in there and they eat a bunch of holes in the coat and it unravels and so fall comes around. I'm going to get my coat on. You open up the closet and it's just in shambles. That, Paul says when your life seems like there's holes being eaten in it and it's falling apart and there's no seams, it's all, you don't have to lose heart. I, I might like the word decaying better than that. Or he uses this word um, in Romans 8, 9. Romans 8, 9. And this is, a, this is a place where it talks about Jesus at the end of the age when he comes back to destroy sin. It says he's going to throw a big rock in the ocean. And it's going to cause such a tsunami that a third of the fish are going to be killed and a third of the ships are going to be destroyed. That same word destroyed is the word that Paul uses that your body is decaying. Same word, same Greek word. So what is he saying? He's saying when life has top-sized and turned over, and it seems like you're sinking to the bottom of the ocean, and there's no hope of recovery, you don't have to lose heart. You get the picture. Four out of the five times this word is used, it's the word destroy. And what Paul is saying is this world we're living in, the life we're living on this planet right now, has one assignment, and it's to, to destroy you. That's what he's saying. I believe, you guys, that there's two main sources of this destruction or this decay, and both of them came from Satan. So we can blame it on Satan. Come on, because there would have been no death, there would have been no sickness, there would have been no anger, depression, worry, anxiety. Come on, there would have been no sex trafficking, there would have been no cancer, there would have been no pandemics, there would have been no bad weather. There would have been, come on, there would have been no debt, there would be no thorns and thistles, no menstrual cramps, no birth pains, given babies. None of that would have been on the planet if the first couple wouldn't have given in to the Satan. So it goes all the way back that he produced all the fallenness, but there's two main sources, you guys, of what's decaying us, what is destroying us. Number one, the fallenness of the world. The world is, we have a fallen world. That's why we need a savior. 
You say, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, good. Let's turn to Romans 8, and I hope your belief. Let's turn to Romans 8. I'll read a couple verses. You guys good? Everybody look at me. Are you good? I I feel like some of you are holding out. (laughs) Romans 8, 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only that, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, all of us believers have that. We have the first fruits. We have a down payment. We have a deposit. We're sealed. Aren't you glad? Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as the sons and daughters of God, the redemption of our bodies. What is this saying? All creation's groaning because it knows that it's not the way God created it to be. And so when I say one of the sources of the destruction in our outer man that's requiring us to be renewed every single day is famines, pestilence, plagues, tornadoes. Earthquakes, volcanoes, tsunamis, hurricanes, 10,000 wildfires a year in California alone. Why do you think all that's happening on our planet? Why is there genocides? Why is there starvation? Come on. Why is there manipulation? Why? 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 Because the world has fallen. That's why, the, why all creation is groaning. Because creation is not the way the creator wanted it to be. And so all these things are coming against us, and they're trying to take us out. And that's, that's why there's pollution, and that's why there's fear. That's why, that's why you can't walk outside now without smeared a bunch of junk on called sunscreen because we messed up stuff, and it's just the whole thing's fallen. And Paul says, even though the fallen world is coming against you and it's destroying you and it's decaying, you don't have to lose heart. So one source is the fallenness of the world, okay? The second source is the fallenness of man, the fallenness of human beings. And this could be such a wide spectrum. You know, you could could say, okay, that sex trafficking, little boys and little girls get kidnapped and put in to become sex slaves. That, That would be a source of decay and destruction. Because of the fallenness of man. Some, somebody walks in your place of business and pulls a gun and says, give me your money and then shoots you. That would be something that would destroy you, right? Because of the fallenness of man. Or it could be somebody just lost their job. So they went to the bar and got drunk. And then they went out and drove home. And they're so drunk, they crossed the center line. They hit head on to a little family of six, all little believing Christians. And they all go into eternity because of the fallenness of man. Or it could be some plane flying into the tower and 3,000 people. You get it? There's no end. You guys get it? There's no end. 
to the destruction that's coming against humans from humans. And we don't have to lose heart. See, you see, the plot thickens. All this stuff's coming against us, you guys. The world, people. Come on. The affair. The unfaithfulness. Somebody walks into school and starts shooting innocent kids. Come on. Somebody, somebody walks in a building with a bomb strapped to their chest. There's no end to the destruction. And in the midst of that, Paul says, we don't lose heart. It's amazing. You see, I think God saves us in stages. And I, I'm probably going to ask him when I see him why. Because I think he could have done it different. <laughs> I'm not trying to tell him what to do. I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask. But your spirit's saved completely. Your spirit is pure. It's holy. It's healed. It's delivered. It's full of faith. It's full of courage. It's full of love. Your spirit will never get better. That's pretty much saved. But your emotions need help daily. Your brain needs help daily. You get it? And your body... Needs healing constantly. That's why, you're, that's why you're groaning because you don't get the body that doesn't need healing until the next age. Like we don't need healing the next age. That's why we're groaning for the redemption of our new bodies. Come on, the moment the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise and all we who are still alive are caught up in the air somewhere between here and there. We get new bodies, man. We don't have to count calories. No more gluten watch. No more carbs. Come on, no more keto. Eat cake, man. But he saves us in stages. You get it? And I, I, believe in, I believe in sanctification, you guys. I believe your, your spirit can be made pure. Your heart can be made pure. Your desires can be made Godward. I believe you can totally consecrate your will to God where it's no longer your will but his will. I believe your will can be made pure. But I don't know why God didn't just do like, like this thing like complete sanctification to where your bodies couldn't get sick. You couldn't be seduced into sin you would never have a depressing thought but he didn't do that he didn't save us completely i think i know why i think it's because he wants us to have to come to him every single day i think he wants us to have to drive to his station and fill up our tank every day i think our tank has 24 hours of gas He doesn't give you a tank that can go two days. Then you wouldn't need to be renewed every day. He doesn't give you a six-day tank or a six-week tank or a five-year tank. He doesn't give you a battery pack. He gives you just enough to go from midnight to midnight. 
And then every day, you got to go back. Because I think that's what he wanted. He wanted us to have to lean on him every single day and get renewed. Leaning on him and not on our own understanding. It's just the way he set it up. I'm going to ask him, why didn't you do it different? And he'll probably say, because I like the way I did it. And that'll be good enough for me. (laughs) You get it? So we have this verse in Matthew 6, 34 that says, take no thought for tomorrow. Because tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Just live on the one day plan. Jesus actually taught that. What he was saying was, every day has its own trouble. So when you woke up today, there's Sunday trouble. Because Jesus can't lie. There's trouble for every day. But Lamentations 3 says there's mercy new every morning. And the mercy that's available every morning is sufficient for the trouble that's available every day. And that's the way God set it up. So when you wake up at 12.01 to go potty for Monday... You'll have trouble on Monday. Come on, John 16, 33. In this world, you'll have trouble. Every day, you'll have trouble. That's what's decaying you. That's what's destroying you. You get it, guys? Come on. That's... But you don't have to lose heart. Because every single day, you can come to the source of mercy and hope and grace and power. And love every day because you have to. Some of us try to put a little five-gallon spare gas tank on the back of our car. But when you come to Jesus, he won't put nothing in it. (laughs) Nope. I only have 24 hours worth of gas for you. You get it? Everybody happy? I'm so happy. You see, yesterday's newness won't help you today. Your mercy that you got Saturday was for Saturday's problems. You're only renewed with Sunday's newness. And you'll only have hope on Monday with Monday's newness. So you have to keep coming day by day by day. By day. Forever. That's called faith. Amen? So, I talked about the word destroy. Now I want to talk about this word renewed. Okay? There's a couple ways to, uh, like, dissect scriptures in the Bible. One way is called looking at different places where the same word is used. And this being renewed verb is only used one other time in the Bible in Paul's writings. It's only used one other time. Being renewed, that verb. And it's in Colossians 3.10. So turn there. I want you to read that verse with me. Colossians 3.10. And it just simply says, And having put on the new self, which is being renewed, that's the same place, Same verb that he uses that you're being renewed day by day on the inner man. The same verb. It says, now put on, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. 
So there's a clue here, you guys, that if we're going to live this secret lifestyle where we never lose heart, the only way to do it is to be renewed every day where our renewal is greater than the decay. Our renewal is greater than the destruction. Come on, greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. You get it? So, let's, let's think about this. It says in Colossians 3.10 that the renewing, that the being renewed is when you put on the new self, it's, it's tied to knowing the truth. Well, probably ought to fall, fall in love with truth. Like, now I, I want to put a warning out. I don't think if you memorize the whole Bible, it could keep you from depression. And I don't think if you memorize the whole Bible, it could keep you out of sin. In fact, uh, most people who know the Bible better than most Christians are the ones who start cults. Because they know enough to manipulate people. And Satan himself knows more scripture than any Christian, and he's definitely deceived. So I'm not saying if you just get enough truth in you, you won't lose heart, because you have to have the Spirit with the truth of God's Word. Come on. You have to have the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to change your heart so the truth can do what it's supposed to do in you and not puff you up. You know, 1 Corinthians 8 said if all you had was knowledge, it would puff you up. That's why you have to have love and truth. You get it? Come on. So, so I'm not saying, well, just go memorize the Bible. Because I, I, I go through the Bible this year every 14 days. I'm going through it right now. I'm in Ecclesiastes for the 12th time this year. Right now. I was listening to the word in the parking lot where they, moved, they made me move my car because I was in a fire zone. I didn't know I couldn't park there. Every Monday night, it's okay to park there. But on Sunday, see, that's Sunday trouble I didn't know about. (laughs) But I got mercy, man. Some guy got my key and moved. I didn't have to walk out there and hurt my bum hip. And mercy's new, man. Come on. This morning when I got to the airport and my wheelchair's pushing me by and I'm heading to gate 68 to fly to Denver so I can get on a plane in Denver and fly to Boise. I I, I go by and there's this long line at Starbucks. And I asked the little lady that was pushing me. She goes, how are you 75? She asked me if I was 75. I said, why are you asking that? Do I look 75? She goes, no, no, 75. You don't have to take your shoes off. No, should I say I'm 75? She goes, no. I said, well, I'm not. I'm 61. So anyway, but. I, 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 that's a part of that's a part of Sunday's trouble. So I'm, she's pushing me by, and I said, "Look at that long line. Is this the only place to get coffee?" She goes, "Yeah." And so she got me to my gate. I got in my chair. I'm just sitting there, and about five minutes later, some couple walks by and says, "I heard you ordered a coffee." I said, "What are you talking about?" Oh, we heard you when the lady walked you by and we knew you wanted one. So here's a black coffee from Starbucks. See, the mercy was greater than the trouble. (laughs) It's awesome, man. So I, so I, so I land in, in from Denver and I had to wait on my wheelchair at the Denver airport. And 
I had to wait like 30 minutes. They didn't ever come. Finally, they came and finally got me there right when they were boarding. So I'd have to wait. They, but the trouble was having patience to wait for the wheelchair. Because it was like a mile like from my gate to gate. But they got me there, and I, I got out of the little electric car right when they said, anybody who needs to pre-bore with extra time, come on. And I stepped out and like an like escort. So I landed here, and I went to get my rent-a-car, my $540 rent-a-car for two days that I'll drive 32 miles. <laughs> Yay. That's a part of Sunday-Monday trouble. Okay. Um, but I get there, and I, I always request a Tahoe because I drive a Tahoe at home, and I don't want to learn a new car. And, and I got the last Tahoe. Budget hurts. Enterprise, national, nobody had any Yukons or GM products. I got the last one of all of them. And God just says, I got your back. As mercy. I got a black Tahoe that was parked out there in the fire lane. <laughs> sorry to bring you into my stuff. I'm sorry. I'm going back to the sermon now. Um, what I am going to tell you this, if you're going to live a life where you don't get discouraged, where you don't lose heart, where every single day you're going to be renewed back to the image of the one who's transformed you, you're never going to be able to live that life unless every single day you put the truth of God's word in your brain. It's not possible. You got to have daily bread. Come on, your metabolism doesn't burn today what you ate yesterday. you got to eat today. It's the same with God's word. Come on, you guys. You say, well, I've already heard it. I've already read it. So have I. It says the same thing every time. So, so one of the clues to being renewed daily is getting the truth of God's word daily. So the greatest thing maybe God could give you would be a hunger for the word. Because if we're going to be the ones who don't fall away at the end, that Jesus said most would grow cold because of the way it's going to get, the only way to not do that is to be more in love with truth than deception. Amen? But the second clue is found in this word, therefore. This is cool, you guys. I learned this in my class. I'm learning. I'm, I'm really thankful. I learn stuff. And in verse 16, it says, therefore, we don't lose heart. And I'm going to tell you, if we could learn what the therefores are in the Bible for, it would make the whole Bible come alive and we could understand it. There's these words, therefore, so, because, for, and in the Greek, if you study the Greek, they're what we call henna clauses. And what they are is they're bridge words between reasons and actions. They're bridge words. And if you can find out what the bridge is there for, then you can find out what the action is going to be, or you can find out what the reason was. And so let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. You say, well, Dan, are you preaching grammar to us on Pentecost Sunday? 
Yes. You know why? Because God actually inspired this book. He didn't inspire a video. He inspired a book. And every word in here was from him. So every therefore, we need to find out what it's there for. You get it? So here's the example. Look at this example. I'm hungry, so I'm going to eat lunch. I'm hungry is the reason, so is the Hina Claus. What am I going to take action? I'm going to eat lunch. Or, I'm going to have lunch. The action, because I'm hungry. The reason. I'm going to eat lunch because I'm hungry. So anytime you see a therefore, because, a for, come on, you need to know that's where the secret treasures are in the Bible that could keep you from losing heart. Are you with me? So let me give you some reasons from chapter 4 of what the reason the therefore is there. Look at verse 7. But we have this treasure... In earthen vessels, that, that can be translated clay vessels, wheat vessels, fragile vessels, cracked vessels. In fact, I think that's why we need to be renewed every day, because we leak. I think we're porous. I don't think we're made of metal, I think we're made of clay. We're fragile, we're weak, we're dependent. And so... We have this treasure, that's the word therosis. It's a word that means you can't measure it, it's too valuable, it's God. Like God's in you. Is that crazy? Like we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Therefore, we don't lose heart. What do you mean, Dan? Well, God could live anywhere and he chose to live in me and look at me. Like I have issues. I've always been a little heavy ever since I got hit by a semi. And I've always had some little problems in my body ever since I got hit by a semi. And God says, I don't care. You're perfect. I'm going to move into you. And I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And I'll finish everything I started because I can't break my word because I am the word. So he chose to move into me as messed up as I am. Wow. Therefore, I better not lose heart. God actually lives in me. Whoa! Look, I'm a house fit for a king. Wow. You guys don't get this yet. I, I, th- this one point is worth a whole sermon. Like, like if you were going to disciple someone, you guys, if, if God locked you in a room with one person and says, make them a disciple so that they can make a disciple, the, the best way to make a disciple is to get them to tell you what it's there for. Because I think the best way a disciple can be a disciple is to know what it's there for. And if they can't tell you what it's there for, tell them to go back and find out what it's there for. Because I think the reason you, the reason why God gave us the book is so we could learn to read. Yay! And there's so much biblical illiteracy in the church. That's why everybody's up and down. And we have the same symptoms as the world. In fact, sometimes the church is more fearful than the world because we don't know the truth. Are you guys with me? 
And when I sometimes speak just what the word says, it offends people that are in the church. Isn't that amazing? Of course, in Matthew 10, Jesus said, don't think I came to bring peace. I came as a sword. Jesus actually said that. The Prince of Peace. He said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to divide this sucker. Now, you'll have peace if you do it on my terms. But there's no peace on your terms. Are you guys tracking with me? So I'm really preaching the truth. So let's, say, let's check, check this out. Let's say Jesus walked in this door tonight in his sandals. That's why I wear sandals. That's not why I wear sandals. You know why I wear Keens? Because I can't put socks on my left feet because of my hip. That's part of my everyday trouble. But I can bend my leg just enough to pull the left heel strap so I can wear these sandals every day. Now you know a secret. He said, why are you telling us that? Because I I don't know how to play, you guys. I hate secrets. I like truth. I like transparency. And when you know the truth, it's easier to stay in the truth. You get it? So as Jesus walks in here in his sandals and his robe, and he's got a real estate agent with him, he's trying to find a house to live in the Treasure Valley. So he walks around, he looks at me, and he goes, well, how, about, how about that big guy? Call me a big guy. He can say it. <laughs> and the real estate agent will look up, oh, Dan Bohai. Oh, no, 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 he's got issues. He's got, this is depreciating, and this is kind of dilapidated. And I, Let me give you some listings that are more of your stature, Jesus. No, 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 you don't understand. I want him. How much for him? Well... This one's going to cost you every drop of your blood. I'll take him. Therefore, we don't lose heart. That's just one point. Now, let's look at verse 8 and 9. Look at this. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not despairing. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Like everything that comes at us, we're still here. Like, you understand? Paul would get in prison wherever he went. He'd just write another book. (laughs) That's where he wrote his books at. He'd He'd get beat and thrown in prison and write an epistle. We're afflicted, we're persecuted, we're pressed, we're crushed down, we're not dead yet, man. Therefore, we don't lose heart. You get it? You get it? Or verse 10, I love this one. Always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. What is that one? Jesus died, so I never have to. Therefore, we don't lose heart. You get it? Jesus died. If you just stay in the truth, you'll never taste death. Well, that, you can't say that. Well, that's what Jesus said in John 7. If you stay in the truth, if you just keep following the word, you'll never taste death. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we all die, 
Really? It's called promotion, man. Like if you're a believer, it's your best moment. Like you're absent the body, you're with Jesus. You can't contain the pleasures. Come on. The joy will be off the charts. You think, what was I waiting for? Why did I take all those supplements? <laughs> you get it? Yeah, I'm going to preach, man. I feel it. Or, or verse 14. Check this one out. Verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and will present us with you. So even when you die, you're going to get resurrected. It's like some guy comes in the door and in, in your, somebody, somebody comes in your business and pulls a gun on you and says, renounce Jesus or I'm going to shoot you in the head. If you knew that the moment he shoots you, you're going to be resurrected, your next waking moment, you're going to be in the paradise of Jesus. You said, make my day. (laughs) I mean, how could Paul say years earlier, for me to live is Christ, but dying is better. He must have known the secret, you guys. I think Paul lived a life that Jesus didn't even live in sometimes. Listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' soul went into anguish and depression unto death. There's never an example of Paul experiencing that. He found the secret. And if one man can find it, why can't we all find it? You get it? The plot thickens. Come on. What's there to fear? If you know you're going to get resurrected. You see, we need to know what it's there for. And then, and then verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, so that grace having spread to more and more people will cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So what is that saying? Everything you go through, if you die in the faith, your death in the faith is going to help others to live in the faith. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Like, but think about it. I, let's say I go to my hotel tonight and walking from my car to go into the Hyatt downtown... Somebody walks up and says, give me your money. He says, here, and they, they, they shoot me. And if I go in the faith, you're going to remember this sermon, man. And my death in the faith is going to encourage you to live the faith, man. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Why don't we know what it's there for? Because if we knew, maybe we wouldn't be so depressed. Do you get it? Are you guys tracking with me? You see, I think this is what Pentecost is all about. It's about living in a perspective that's more than what you see. You know, when I got hit by the semi-truck in 1995 and, and Jesus baptized me in the spirit, I got a vision, you guys, I never got over. I, I can't get over it. Like, his reality is bigger than all this temporary stuff. And I've faced stuff and I've lost wealth and I've lost health and I've had all these things that Paul says is destroying and decaying us. And, but the vision I got when Jesus came to me in the lowest moment gave me a vision past what you can see. You see, if you look at what you see, you'll get discouraged. 
Because all you can see is the two things coming at you, the fallenness of the world and the fallenness of man. That's all you can see. That's why you're not supposed to look at what you see. Are you getting this? So I got to land this plane because the 15 minutes that parents are all leaving and I got to take an offering. So, amen. You ought to all shout. Thank you. Um, so let's look at verse 17. I did 16 long enough. We got to get to a new verse. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. So Paul calls it momentary and light. It's 30 years. 30 years of nonstop abuse and trouble and tribulation. And he says it's momentary and light. And then he says it's producing an eternal weight. So he calls what he's going through momentary and light. But he says since he's going through it, it's going to produce something that's eternal with weight. Opposite. But look at this word produce. Look at this word produce. It's, it's, that's what it means. Producing. It's producing. It's, it's preparing. It's building. And so what if, guys, what if the real secret to this, check this out. Look at me, guys. Look at this. What if the real secret to never having to lose heart is realizing that everything you're going through that you think is hard, it's a trial and it's painful. Come on. The, come on. All the pain that came from fallen man, the abuse, the betrayal, the diseases, the pestilence. Come on. The depression, all the demonic, all the things that come because we're in a fallen world. What if our heart doesn't get offended because we see past it? And if our attitude's right, everything we're going through is what's producing what we'll live in for eternity. <laughs> what if all the delays and all the heartaches and all the setbacks that we wish would end... What if they're being used to produce the glory you're going to live in for trillions of years? That's what this verse is saying. <laughs> then he says... So we don't look at what we see, but we look at what we don't see. Because if you look at what you see, you're depressed. But if you look at what you don't see, you'll be renewed every day. So Paul says, now look at what you can't see. And how do you do that? Because you can't see it. Quit looking at what you see. Well, that's all I see, Paul. Don't look at what you see. Because if you look at what you see, you're just going to see depression and fear and pain and suffering and lack. So don't look at what you see. Look at what you can't see. Well, how do I do that? And that's where I think... We need the baptism of the Spirit. That's where I think we need Pentecost, not as one day a year, but as a lifestyle. So that we see from God's perspective instead of our perspective. Does that make sense, you guys? I think there's a way that we can live by the Spirit, in the Spirit, with the Spirit, in step with the Spirit, where we're no longer focused on the things that are temporary because now we have an eternal vision. We have an eternal perspective. 
Let me, um, let me close. I got to close. I got to close. I don't have to, but I'm going to. Like, this is early for me. I'll give you two examples. I'm going to talk about Paul and John the Baptist. First, Paul. Paul, 30 years of suffering, he's finally in a jail cell in Rome, getting ready to get his head cut off, right? Luke's with him, has all of his parchment, has all of his papers. And so, I read this from three different historians, not just one source, three sources. They all said the same thing. The day that Paul was taken to have his head cut off, the streets of Rome had 150,000 people lining because they couldn't believe how Paul was going to die. They, they never saw anybody that wasn't afraid. And the Roman soldiers that escorted him didn't chain him because he had won them all to the Lord. Because he used prison as an evangelism. He wouldn't say, oh, I'm chained to guards. He would say, oh, they're chained to me. <laughs> and he won all of Caesar's guard to the Lord. All the Roman soldiers were Christians. So as they're walking down this road to have his head cut off, you guys. Now listen to this. It's very important, you guys. Dr. Luke was following him with his parchments and his coat. The soldiers were lining like they were treating him like this triumphant procession, like everybody was honoring this man who was going to die with joy. And all he said was, when you all watch how I die, ask this man behind me about my Jesus because you'll all want to know him. And he said that all the way. And every historian said more people came to faith in his sermon about how he was going to die than all of his other ministry, the 30 years combined. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Like, I get it. I'm not going to have any paid after the head's gone. And we you know what we pray for? Lord, when's this season going to end? When am I going to get a job where everybody's a Christian? When's my family going to straighten up? When's my relationship going to be less tense? When am I going to get rid of that pain? When it, and we, we focus on all these temporary things because we don't have an eternal vision. We don't have an eternal perspective. Because if we had an eternal perspective, we'd realize our 60, 80, 90, 100 years is like, boop, and then we get trillions. Therefore, or John the Baptist. Let's think about him. Jesus said he's the greatest man ever lived. Isn't that crazy? Like, how would you be the greatest man that ever lived? He didn't do one miracle. Like, I would think he'd say Moses or Elisha or David, right? Like, Moses was God's lawyer. David was God's worship leader. But Paul was God's theologian. He was. Anyway, John the, John the Baptist was the greatest man that ever lived. And all he did was say everything true about Jesus. That's what it says. Everything he said about me was true. <laughs> and Jesus can't lie. So he's locked up for telling the king, you can't have that woman because it's a sin. So I guess if you speak the truth, you'll speak things that get you thrown in prison. So he's in prison and Herod's got this girl dancing. He's got everybody turned on, sexual dance. And Herod gets so happy, he goes, I'll give you half my kingdom. 
So she goes to her mom, what should I ask for? And the mom hates John the Baptist. Well, tell me what John the Baptist had on a platter. So here's John the Baptist in the prison cell, greatest man that ever lived. This is how his life ended. The reason why I'm bringing these stories up is if you don't have an eternal perspective, a lot of times you'll think your suffering was meaningless. It's not meaningless. If you're a Christian, it's producing glory. There is no pain that's meaningless. Are you guys getting this? So, so I can see these two guards come to the door, and here's John. He's been hearing the music. He's been hearing the clapping, you know, because the girl's dancing, seductive. And he probably says, what's up, guys? And two guys show up, and one's got a sword. Well, you know, the girl danced. The king got turned on. He gave her half the kingdom. All she wanted was your head. So we're here for your head, John. Now, it would seem like that's meaningless. Like this is the way the greatest man that ever lived is going to die? You can struggle and we'll bind you, or you can just bend over and we'll take it. It's your choice, John. And you know what I think happens in those moments when you're willing to die? It says in First Peter 4 that when you're willing to suffer for Jesus, that's when all the manifest presence of God's glory rests on you in a weight that you've never experienced before. Not when you're trying to avoid the suffering for Jesus. When you're willing to suffer for Jesus. So I think John the Baptist bent over and they took his head and that last five seconds he saw the glory. And I think for eternity he'll be living in a weighty glory because of what that moment of surrender and commitment produced. You guys tracking? So I want to make a disclaimer. I don't want you to lump sickness and disease in with suffering for Jesus because Jesus paid a price so we don't have to have sickness and disease. And what happens is in these kind of messages, a lukewarm church that's been so destroyed by the fallenness of the world and by the fallenness of man, they try to lump in everything that caused suffering into the same category, but Paul never did that. Paul never lumped physical suffering from disease and sickness in with suffering for Jesus because Jesus gave every Christian authority over all sickness and disease. So I have five dares I want to give you to end this message. I'm going to dare you. Is that good? Number one, you ready? I dare you to keep believing. You say, what's the big deal? I dare you to keep believing that even though the world's trying to destroy you and people are trying to destroy you, you have a power inside of you that's greater than the power that raised Jesus from the dead. I dare you to keep believing that you can lay hands on people and they'll get well. I dare you to believe you can speak to demons and they'll run fleeing. I dare you to keep believing that you carry the kingdom of God wherever you go. And the kingdom of God is a greater kingdom than the kingdom that's in this fallen world. I dare you to keep believing. Because Jesus said in John 11, didn't I tell you that if you believed you'd see the glory of God? Are you guys with me? Now here's the warning. 
If you're going to be a believer that believes, you might be more susceptible to losing heart. Because that's why most believers stop believing in the supernatural because it disappoints them when it doesn't happen. And, and then they say, well, it's easier just to become religious than believe because when you believe it's discouraging when you pray and nothing happens. Which to me is a greater pain to try to believe than to give in to the two sources of destruction. Everybody's being destroyed. What's the big deal in that? But there's a few people that want to fight against it with their faith because they want to believe God's word over the circumstances. And that causes sometimes greater pain than the pain the demonic world can give. Now we're talking about producing some glory. I'm preaching better than you're listening, I think. I think I am. Number two... I want to dare you to keep praying. This is a house of prayer. All of you are supposed to be a house of prayer. I don't mean pray religious prayers. I mean pray prayers like let your kingdom come and your will be done in my life like it is in heaven right now. Because there's no sickness. There's no disease. Come on. There's no adultery. There's no depression. That's not in heaven. And I want to dare you to... Pray the kind of prayers that the Bible says we're supposed to be praying, even though we're being destroyed. Amen? Number three, this is a good one here, man. I want to dare you all to keep preaching. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. Yeah, you are. Your life is. Every one of your life is a living epistle. People should look at you and be provoked to know Jesus. And maybe sometimes you could even use words. Do you get it? I think our lives should be so countercultural to a world that gives in to every demonic force and every evil and every oppressive thing that's trying to destroy our outer man. I think our lives should preach messages that people should say, how do you do that? Why don't you give in? Why aren't you gossiping? Why aren't you complaining? Why do you believe? How do you do that? And you can say, man, because we don't lose heart, man. Because we have as many problems as you do, but God lives in us. And no matter what happens to us, we're still here. Because he died. I never have to. But even if I do, he's going to bring me back. Like I can't lose. I dare you to keep preaching like that. You get it? And number four, oh, this is going to be a hard one. I dare you to endure to the end. He said, well, when's that? <laughs> I was talking to Andy Bird at the Sand, and he said that, Every language group on the planet will have the gospel in full print in less than ten and a half years. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, when the gospel of the kingdom is preached to all languages, then the end will be here. Well, that's ten years. Can you endure that long? 
He said, are you prophesying? No, I'm just quoting Jesus. Yay. I, I, I know this for a fact because I have a buddy who's made millions and millions and millions of dollars in cryptocurrency. And he says within 30 months, every country on the planet will have the ability to scan your hand for cryptocurrency because cash will go away. And that way there'll be a system that the Antichrist can manipulate the world economies. And that's pretty close to the tribulation time. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just asking you, are you willing to endure to the end. Like we're the first generation where the whole world's going to have the gospel in print. But it's never happened before in the history of the world, you guys. We're the first generation where people are going to be able to scan something and buy stuff without, like way past credit cards. Like it's never happened before, man. We're close. And guess what? God wanted you here. That's why you're here. You're not here because mom and dad had a moment. You're actually here because God thought you could endure. That's why you're here. He trusted the end time revival to you. Woo! You didn't know you were so important. Number five, fifth, and fifth dare. Is this okay? Okay. Number five, I dare you to take the risk to not settle for the way that seems right to every other man. Because there's a way that just seems right because it makes sense and it always leads to destruction. Proverbs 14, 12. You get it? So, in 1 John 5, 4, it says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. All you got to do is have faith, right? Come on, you're going to overcome the world. Are you guys glad? Come on, man. And then it says in Revelation 12, 11, they overcame the enemy with the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. So lose your life. Lose your life. Die. Let him resurrect you. Yay. Last verse. You guys happy? Somebody say amen. Last verse. I didn't really preach that long. I didn't get up till five. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm happy. I'm happy. If, I, if you could see what I see, you'd be happy too. You guys are on the verge. You're on the verge, man. Here's the last verse. Matthew 24, 12 and 13. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Guess who said that? Jesus. Jesus can't lie. Because of how wicked the fallenness of the world and the fallenness of man is, most people's love is going to grow cold. Jesus said most. He's not talking to the world, you guys. He's talking to the church. Come on, this is written to the church. 
Do you guys get it? Like the world is already cold. When Jesus comes back, if, if you read it right, guys, if you read what he's going to do with those bowls and the wrath and all that, he's going to just, like Jesus is going to take out like 7 billion people that will not repent. He's not talking about them. He's talking about Christians that don't love the truth enough to endure to the end. Do you love him? No greater love does anyone have than they're willing to... You get it? Come on, man. So Jesus can't lie. He said most people's love will grow cold, but Paul says we never lose heart. So I I thought about that a lot because they're not contradictions. They're actually making both statements stronger. Because if most people are going to give up because of the pressure and the pain of the fallenness of the age, come on, if most people are going to give up, then the ones who don't give up are going to be the ones who found the secret. They don't lose heart. I want to be the ones who don't give up. Come on, man. Don't you guys want to be there? Like when it costs you everything and you go, good, I'll pay it. The next moment you're in paradise. Man, I'm trying to encourage you guys. Last verse. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. (laughs) And saved means healed, delivered, forgiven, cleansed, provided for, kept safe. Come on, it's a big deal. Sozo's a big deal. Come on. And all you got to do to cash in on Sozo is keep enduring. Because if you shrink back, you're destroyed. But if you just keep believing, <laughs> it's just win, 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 win. Is that a good word? Okay, stand up. I want to pray over you. Stand up. Thank you, Papa, that we don't have to lose heart. <laughs> Thank you, Papa, that we don't ever have to be discouraged. Thank you that a man showed us that no matter what the fallenness of man or demons or the world or anything does, that greater is he who's in us than all those forces around us. And thank you that as gas is at $5 a gallon <laughs> and groceries are doubling and houses are doubling and we really don't know where to look at except you, that we can see past all this temporary stuff and see that We're in the birth pains now, and we're the bride that's going to give birth to the next age. Like, the whole earth is going to transition to the next age, and we're, the contractions are getting closer. The pain's getting greater, but boy, when we birth this new age, it's going to be really good to be a part of the bride that gave birth to the new age. And so we're on the verge, God, and we feel it in our bones, we feel it in our hearts, we know that there's no, human, there's no human solutions to our world. It's all you. You're the solution. You're the answer. And so, Lord, we don't want any compromise. We don't want mixture. We don't want idols. Like, we don't want to be a part of the harlot Babylon system that falls in the hour. Lord, we saw the whole world was shut down in a, in a week with covid Well, you said the whole world system is going to be shut down in an hour. 
Lord, we don't want to be a part of that. We don't want idols. We want one idol. We want you. We want you, Jesus. We want you to be the love of our life. We want you to be the passion. We want you to be the desire. We want you to be the pursuit. pursuit. Jesus, we want you, man. We want you. We want you. We're hungry for you. On Pentecost Sunday, but every day, every day, we want you. We want more. We want to drink of your pleasures. So, so Jesus, recalibrate our vision tonight. Get our eyes off of things that seem bigger than you so we can see you again. We have to choose to look at Jesus. You don't force us. You're not robots. You, we have to look at Jesus. And then we become what we look at. We're transformed from glory to glory to glory. So, Lord, if there's any idols, we repent of them. If there's any compromise, we repent. Like, we don't want compromise. We don't want to settle for less when you give us everything. And so on Pentecost Sunday, God, the River House, this church that's on fire, that, that's got faith, that has expectancy, that has, that has worship, that has prayer, that has zeal, I just pray, God, that <laughs> that you just like consume this place. Would you just consume this place? Like, would you become our first love? Would you become our first love? So that we don't love our lives, we love you. We don't, we don't love the benefit package more than we love the one who's giving it to us. We, we, we don't want you to be incorporated into our life. We want to lose our life so our life becomes your life. And so on Pentecost Sunday, God, it took them 10 days to die. We don't need 10 days. We already know what happens when we give up. Like you come, your spirit pours out. And all of a sudden, Lord, all those apostles that were all selfish about who could sit on the right or the left or who was the most important and which city can we burn with God's fire? All of a sudden, when their vision became eternal, now who can suffer next? Like we want to suffer next. Like we want to give our life next. Like we want that perspective. We want to see so far past everything that causes us fear so we can be like Jesus. For the joy set before me, I can endure the cross. Like we want an eternal perspective, God. So I, like, the, like the gal who was up here on fire during the worship said, open our eyes. We want to see you, Jesus. We want to see your glory. I want this place to explode, God. I want River House to go from this to 5,000 and 10,000 and, and every neighborhood in the whole Treasure Valley is just like an outpost for people that are fearless. Like, this is the seed. Like, we're the seed. We're the seed. Lord, throw us, man. We'll die in the ground so life can spring up. We just want to lose ourselves for you, Jesus. We give you our kids. We give you our jobs. We give you our wealth. We give you our marriages. We give you our dreams. We give you our future, man. We give you everything. We want to lose our life so your life can touch the world through us, God. 
That's it. That's the bride. Revelation 22, 17, the bride and the spirit say come. The bride has made herself ready. That means we became just like the one who gave everything away. And we want to be just like our bridegroom. We want to be like you, Jesus. So help us, Jesus. Help us not to hold on to lesser things so that our hands can be full of you constantly. I love you, Jesus. We love you. That's why we're here. We gather because we love you. And we honor your presence. Holy Spirit, we love you. We honor you. Thank you for your gifts. Thank you for your fruit. Jesus, thanks for paying the price so we could all have Holy Spirit. Our best friend. Father, thanks for orchestrating the whole thing. We just love you, God. I just pray an impartation over this entire congregation that's here in the room and watching online that you would give them an eternal perspective so they would see everything that is causing pain and suffering in the realm of the fallenness of the world and man, not as a negative, but as the thing that's producing eternal glory. Give us an eternal perspective so that we'll have faith to rise up against demonic schemes and we won't settle for the way that seems right to man. But we'll command sickness to leave. We'll command depression to leave. Come on, man. We'll use our authority. We'll walk in our true identity as sons and daughters who are married to Jesus. And so, Lord, that's what we want on Pentecost Sunday. So we love you. And we give you our lives. In Jesus' name. If you you believe that, just say amen loud. Amen. 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 Can we give God praise?